It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest episode of the Giants huddle podcast. My name is John Schmelk. Today's guest to talk some NFL draft is Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. Chris, it's good to see you, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, John. Thanks for having me. This is an exciting time of the year, not just because we've seen a ridiculous amount of trades and free agent movement, but we're like a month away from the NFL draft. No question. And before we get to it, just a reminder, as a programming note, everybody, go find the Giants Little Podcast feed. Subscribe to it, Apple Podcasts, the Giants app, Giants.com slash podcast. I know some of you had trouble downloading the last draft season podcast on the Giants Little feed. Well, guys, don't worry about it. This is your chance. Go subscribe to the draft season feed. The draft season will no longer be appearing on the huddle feed in a couple of weeks. So go subscribe on the draft season podcast feed. Find it there. And that's where the future episodes will be appearing while I talk draft with Tony Pauline and Eric Crocker. All right, Chris, you had a recent mock draft come out a couple of days ago. Evan Neal at five and then a trade out at seven. Just take me through the mechanics of how all that came about for you. Okay, Evan Neal, I I feel like would be the prototype for what Joe Shane and probably Brian Dable would want in an offensive tackle. He's played right tackle before at Alabama. I think his right tackle film is actually better than his left tackle film. To some people, that doesn't matter. But usually when you ask NFL players, they always say it's actually a lot more difficult to go from right side to left side. So he has experience doing both. I think that's huge for him. Um, And then the trade back was off of a report from Peter King of NBC Sports earlier this week um, in which he stated that he wouldn't be surprised if the Giants moved off of either five or seven to get a first rounder next year to potentially gear up if they needed to pick a quarterback or just to have, you know, extra first round picks again in the 2023 draft. I had the Chargers moving up to pick Iki Aquanu, one of the other top tier offensive tackles in this class. I just feel like they need someone else on the right side to protect Justin Herbert. And yeah, I, I think after they get their marquee prospect at five, most likely, the Giants will certainly be open to fielding calls to moving back in round one off number seven. All right, so let, let, let's talk about the trade portion of this first. I agree. The AFC West has entered YOLO mode, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like everyone is it, like a literal arms race, except for the Chiefs who just traded Tyreek Hill. Everyone else <laughs> just keeps adding and adding and adding and adding and adding. So I could see the Chargers doing this. I think it makes sense for them, especially only if one of those three offensive tackles are there, right? There's a chance, you know, they're all gone because the Panthers, I think, like you had in your draft, good chance they take one. Giants will be looking for one, and then maybe someone in the top four takes one. What other teams do you think could be um, a, a target for the Giants if they want to move down? You know, the Falcons and Seahawks now could be quarterback hunting at 9 and 10. They want to move up ahead of Carolina to 5. You know, there's a lot of different machinations here. What other teams should Giant fans watch that maybe could be a trade partner. I think the Seahawks would be number one uh, and they could be trying to move up to number five, which being a top five pick, you could probably get a bigger trade compensation package for that selection. They want to probably get ahead of the Carolina Panthers at number six overall, because that organization is really struck out on the Russell Wilson sweepstakes, the Sean Watson sweepstakes. And there's, sitting there today with Sam Darnold and PJ Walker as their two quarterbacks. And not great. So yeah. So I, I think the Seahawks would probably be the team that would make the most sense. There's usually always a surprise team that we don't re- even really hear about being reported that on draft night or literally as the first round begins, we start to get those reports kind of trinkling out. Uh, so the Seahawks to me, the chargers, maybe the Minnesota Vikings, if they love you know, say Sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley and either of those two uh, cornerbacks fall. That's a pretty big need for that defense. So those three teams, all for different positions, would make the most sense. Uh, And one other team that I know very well, the Buffalo Bills. The fact that Brandon Bean and Joe Shane have that relationship, uh, the Bills have added a lot in free agency. They're going into this season or at least into the draft um, as the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl. They have eight picks in this draft right now, and I don't think they are a team that can even roster eight rookies at this point. We know Brandon Bean from his time in Buffalo uh, that he's certainly been aggressive. So you always have to tie in those relationships that front office members have together. Sauce Gardner, the the Cincinnati cornerback, maybe even Derek Stingley, one of those two fall to seven. It it wouldn't shock me if there's at least a call between, you know, these buddies, uh, Brandon Bean and Joe Shane. How about the Steelers? You know, they have familial 
uh, connections with the Giants. Yeah. They're a team that has not been without a quarterback for literally uh, 19 seasons. <laughs> um, do you think they're a team that could get really aggressive here if Mike Tomlin finds a quarterback he really likes? I think they could, uh, and especially with Kevin Colbert, their GM, uh, rumored to be for this to be his last draft. I could see him kind of pulling an Ozzie Newsome, where yeah, Ozzie yeah, Newsome right? in that 2018 draft traded back into the first to pick Lamar Jackson and then stepped away to kind of leave that organization in a good position at the quarterback spot. And I think Mike Tomlin's been pretty open about his admiration for Malik Willis in this draft class. So if Malik Willis gets maybe past the Panthers at six and he's sitting there at seven and Mike Tomlin and that organization in Pittsburgh, probably wondering, Hey, are, are the Seahawks going to move up? Is there going to be a surprise team that also moves up? It, it wouldn't stun me. Although we haven't really seen the Steelers do a lot of moving up right. in the past. They, they traded up for Devin Bush, the linebacker a few drafts ago, but in general, they, they usually like to stay put or trade back, but this could be a draft because Malik Willis, is that talented of a quarterback and there's a need, like you mentioned, that they haven't had in almost two decades. The Steelers are probably that other team a little bit further down the board that the Giants should kind of circle as another potential trade partner. All right. How good do you feel about who the first four players are going to be off the board before the Giants get to five? Because that's really the trick, right, Chris? Who's yeah. going to be there at five? The Giants say, oh, we love that. Evan Neal. Well, if he's not there, that really doesn't matter. Um, what's your feel for those four, first four teams right now? I don't have the best feeling. It does feel like Aiden Hutchinson is going to go number one overall. Uh, the Lions are kind of an enigma. I, I put Malik Willis to them in my most recent mock draft, and I didn't think it was that crazy, but it kind of created a stir on Twitter and on Instagram when CBS threw it up there. It just figures like it makes sense, but we haven't really heard too much about it. We haven't heard about you know the Lions doing their due diligence at pro days at at the quarterback spot. They liked how Jared Goff played later in the season, but that is kind of the team that could change the entire first round. If they don't pick Malik Willis and they go one of the offensive tackles, they go edge rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau, maybe they go Kyle Hamilton. There's not really a surefire player um, that seems to really be connected with the Lions at this point. Do you feel pretty good they're not going to go offensive tackle though? Yeah, probably not offensive tackle. That was probably wrong. They're like, especially having Taylor Decker and Penny Sewell. It, it's probably going to be Sauce Gardner, Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, the safety, uh, and maybe Malik Willis. It, it, it's yeah. just a team that is rebuilding that has a lot of needs. And I think there is from a lot of scouts I've talked to, the top five, you ask around the entire league and there's a different top five with different players <laughs> in it. It's not just a different order. Yeah. Some love um, Trevon Walker, the edge rusher from Georgia. Other people have him later in the first round. Kayvon Thibodeau is in a, a top three for a lot of teams, but then also outside the top 10 for some teams. People love Kyle Hamilton, but he ran four six at the combine. So it, it's a very uh, enigmatic top five or top 10, which will really make things interesting for the Giants. I'm sure they would like to know who those first four picks will be in front of them. But for fans, uh, it will be certainly make for an entertaining first 30 minutes or so in the first round. Yeah, I mean, who the heck knows what Houston's going to do? I mean, exactly. they're basically exactly. starting from scratch. You know, if they yep. trade Laramie Tunsil at some point, will that open up a tackle spot? And then the Jets... They could use help at edge. They could use help at corner. They could use help at offensive tackle. Yep. So I guess, you know, the Giant fans, they really want an offensive tackle to be there at five. Equanu more likely, Neil more likely. Maybe maybe this is the best way to put it. Who do you think is least likely to be there when the Giants get to five? Well, even though I had Evan Neal to the Giants at five in my most recent mock, I, I think he's probably the least likely. Uh, he has his pro day coming up. I think at like six, eight and 337 pounds. And he looks like he's like 230. I don't dude, know how he, uh, dude, he carries 340 better than any human being I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. I 100% agree with that. I, I feel like Evan Neal is going to test really well. And mm -hmm. it, it kind of positions him with this pro day late in the pro day circuit to generate buzz going into April. Like that's what you want to do as a prospect. He's from Alabama, uh, multiple years as a starter. I, I feel like if there is a team inside the top four, maybe the Jets at four that want to add more for Zach Wilson up front. I think they'll lean the Alabama pedigree, the size, the athleticism, the upside with Evan Neal. Yeah, no question. I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, so let's talk Giants at five now. 
I agree. I think Evan Neal's there. I think you got to go there. You know, the Giants need a right tackle anyway, right? He's played right tackle. I think he's a better pass. He's probably a better pass protector than a run blocker, in my opinion, too, at this point. Just really solid, better pass protector than than Aquanu. So mm-hmm. you're looking at Aquanu and Cross. I think it's interesting. Before I got to the combine, I was a Charles Cross guy. I'm like, I'm going to pick the guy that's a better pass protector. Me too. Yeah. But, but, Aquanu has played right tackle before Cross has not. I listened to Aquanu talk at the combine, and I looked at him in his build. I think he's much more mature physically than Charles Cross is. Mm-hmm. And when you listen to him talk, you just feel like that guy is going to continuously improve based on his intellect, his smarts, and his attitudes. So now I'm kind of leaning the other way. How do you look at Cross and Aquanu when you kind of compare and break them down? And if the Giants have the choice of the two of them, where do they go? Yeah, that's a really good kind of uh, like way to differentiate those two players. I, I think on film right now, Charles Cross is the smoother, better pass protector. Iki Aquanu has more highlight reel blocks on screens in the run game. But I do agree that I, I think Charles Cross needs to really turn up his nastiness and his demeanor. Iki Aquanu already has that. And again, to tie in Joe Shane back to the Bills. They drafted Deion Dawkins out of Temple in, in the uh, second round of 2017. Iki Iquanu reminds me more of Deion Dawkins than Charles Cross does. It, uh, Deion Dawkins was this big, really athletic, great run blocker that was a little bit behind as a pass protector, but the athleticism was there. And he was good as a rookie, especially in the run game. Took him a year or two to really shore up his technique get a little stronger as a pass protector. And now he's become, you know, a a very good left tackle, young left tackle for the Buffalo Bills. So if Joe Shane, having spent multiple years, like you mentioned, seeing the development in Deion Dawkins, I could see him gravitating toward Iki Aquanu saying, this guy reminds me of the tackle that he had in Buffalo. Yeah, I talked to a bunch of people at the combine about that same thing, Chris. And I, I was I was even taking Aquanu out of it because before Frazier, I thought there was no way Neil or Aquanu would even get to the Giants. Now I think it's possible. Yeah. And I was asking people, well, if he's choosing between Charles Cross and Trevor Penning, which is the type of player he would like more? Everyone's like, oh, Penning is a Shane Dable guy more than Cross is. And I think mm. it kind of goes to your point. That's just a profile of the guy that this group seems to like better. Yeah, and I think Trevor Penning is a really interesting one that that he could be that kind of surprise entrant into this top tier of the offensive tackle group because he is 6'6 and 330 already. A lot of the smaller school guys come in lighter. They clearly need to get a lot stronger, add a lot more weight. I don't think Trevor Penning does. And I, I don't think he's quite the athlete that he tested like at the combine and the pro day on the field. I, I think he's a little um a little heavy footed, but he certainly would fit the more nasty profile that I think Brian Dable and Joe Shane liked because they had that in Buffalo, not only with Deion Dawkins, but drafting Spencer Brown last year out of Northern Iowa, Trevor Penning's teammate. No question about it. All right, let's jump to the edge guys, because you know, this is messy. I I agree with you. I think Hutchinson as a safe pick is one. I feel like there are ways to poke holes in his game, Chris, to be honest with you, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a system here. I'm able to watch all his sacks and hits and pressures and all that stuff. Not one of his sacks came from him winning with speed and bend off the edge all year. Not one. Then he comes in and checks in with not a lot of length. So can he win at the NFL level the way he did in college? And by the way, I think he's going to be a good player. But can you be a star in the NFL when you're winning by getting into the body of the tackle, using your hand fighting and your strength to win? I don't know if you can do that in the NFL as consistently as he did it uh, yeah, in Michigan. Yeah, that's a really good uh, kind of scouting report on him in that he's not a speed, explosiveness, bend, dip around the corner type. Is To me, is he terrible in those areas? No. No. But I, and, and by I the think way, his, his three-cone drill was excellent. So that exactly. tells you that maybe he can do it. Yeah, but you don't see a lot of those, you know, Von Miller-esque wins around Correct. the corner. Um, to me... Uh, it just raises a, a red flag. I don't think anyone is more important than the other. You just need to win in a variety of ways as an edge rusher with your hands, with power, with just a, a flat out outside speed rush where you pin your ears back and dip around the corner. If you don't have one of those in your arsenal, I think it's just going to steepen your learning curve and you might not make as big of an impact 
early on. So to pick that guy number one overall, I, I think there is a little bit of a concern with Aiden Hutchinson. I, I do think, though, that it's like 90% of the edge rushers, even at the top, have problems with their hands. They're not great using pass rush moves. Aiden Hutchinson has all the pass rushing moves. So I think that's what makes him so easy to like on film. But that is an astute point by you that, that he's not someone – Although he's not, you know, crazy slow or crazy stiff, he's not really going to win, you know, under two seconds around the corner like a lot of the elite pass rushers do, the TJ Watt, Miles Garrett types. Yeah, his hand fighting is by far Great. the best in, in the class. No question about it. All right, we're assuming he's gone. Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, uh, I'll throw Jermaine Johnson into the mix. From what you're hearing and what you've seen, how do you kind of sort those guys? Because the Giants could theoretically have their choice of two or three of them, either yeah. a five or seven. Okay, from what I'm hearing, Trevon Walker it could be a top five pick just because of the length, the pedigree at Georgia. His combine was through the roof. And I hate to say this because I, I'm not a huge fan of him, but I, I feel like, and maybe this is tying too much back to his time in Buffalo, Joe Shane, after the Bills picked Gregory Rousseau last year, who was kind of a Trevon Walker type, didn't have the combine of, of right. Trevon Walker, but the length, you know, the 15 and a half sacks as a freshman at Miami, I, I think the Bills leaned in that direction for upside. Yeah, bigger guy, right? Bigger, bigger guy, guy, taller. That's Trevon Walker. I, I don't and think And by the way, film... Rousseau played inside just like Walker did exactly. last year for Georgia. So I, I'm a little lower on him, although I, I will admit that his upside is is all pro caliber that I, I could see the Bills or the Giants with Joe Shane saying, look, this is a, a more athletic version of Gregory Rousseau, who's probably a little bit stronger, uh, just has more seasoning, you know, isn't coming out after one season as a redshirt freshman. I could see Trevon Walker being the pick um, just Purely based on upside, I, I think his film is not of top 10 caliber whatsoever. I agree um, with you. When it comes to bend around the corner, pass rushing moves that we talked about with Aiden Hutchinson, I think he has a ways to go in that area. And certainly, again, tying back to the Bills, they had a lot of faith in their position coaches to, to help these guys get better in these technical areas. And I think, for the most part, it, it worked. So, Kayvon Thibodeau, to jump to him, I think he is a little raw too, but Everything that, that we mentioned about is a weakness for Aiden Hutchinson, not a weakness for Kayvon Thibodeau. Burst, bend, dip around the corner is elite. I think it's up there very close to what Miles Garrett brought to the table. At He was like 20 pounds heavier, but a, a, a elite number one caliber prospect in that area. Using his hands, I think he's a little bit behind. It was almost like he knew how athletic he was and could just win in that way. But all that to me says is, if they like Trevon Walker because he's this high upside guy, a little bit unpolished, Kayvon Thibodeau would actually be the better selection because he's a little bit better with his hands. The bend and the dip is there. The production was there more so than Trevon Walker. If the Giants pick Kayvon Thibodeau at five, I would be completely fine with that. And then the last one, Jermaine Johnson. I, I think the pre-draft hype for him has kind of gotten out of control that he had one really good practice at the senior bowl and then justifiably sat out the rest of the week. And then the chorus for him is, oh, he's a top 10 pick. I, I think his film is good. I think he's very powerful using that, that long arm. He's very long uh, edge rusher on the outside. Overall, I think his consistency is more like a mid to late first round pick. So that would be a pretty big gamble if the Giants picked Jermaine Johnson at five or seven. And just one year of major production scares me a little bit. And, and I get it. He was at Georgia playing behind all these first round picks, um, had to transfer to Florida State. I'm fine with that. But we really only saw one year where he really put a lot of those stats out there. That to me kind of screams that this is a boomer bust prospect um, that just had the one year. So Kayvon Thibodeau would be a great selection. Trevon Walker would be a little scary, but the upside is there. And I think Jermaine Johnson, maybe after a trade back, would make a lot more sense for the Giants. Yeah, see, I think after watching the tape, I'll be honest with you, Chris, this is pre-combine. I looked at Johnson and Walker, and I thought Johnson showed more as an edge rusher on tape than Walker did, to be yeah, quite honest too. with you. Yeah, for sure. So, Thibodeau. When I watched the tape before the combine, he was my number one edge guy. I thought he was, just in terms of tools, I thought the upside was there. He won in different ways. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't get picked in the top five, it's not because of the tape, right? It's because of the other stuff. What are you hearing about the other stuff? Just 
overall maturity, uh, but it's weird. I've talked to some teams and some say, you know, he's very much into his brand and getting commercials and getting sponsorships. Is that just because he's coming out in this new NIL era where, where college athletes are already thinking about that when they never really could in the past? And then other teams have told me the opposite and said, hey, this guy's all about football. And you've seen some interviews where it, it does seem like, you know, he said he picked Oregon because of the brand and all the Nike stuff. And then other interviews, he's talking about technical aspects of attacking the outside shoulder of an offensive lineman before beating him back to the inside. It's really tough. And this could be Giants could pick him at five and we'll never know what some of those other teams thought about him could fall into the teens or outside of the top 10. I don't think either would surprise anyone because there's just a lot of differing opinions just on Kayvon Thibodeau, the person I I've never talked to him. I, I don't want to speak directly on, on how I view him from that perspective. Uh, but yes, there's definitely some polarizing opinions about one of the most talented players in this class. All right. Is there any chance at this point? Sauce Gardner is not the first cornerback off the board. No, it, it's going to be him. Derek Stingley. I'm, even if he works out at the LSU pro day, and I think it's like the last pro day, like yeah. April 4th or April 5th. Um, even if he works out really well, sauce Gardner being as big as he is. And then really watching all of the other corners, sauce Gardner, not working out at the combine, being a little smaller with shorter arms and people expected the Washington cornerbacks, Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon running a little bit slower than people thought being smaller than people thought Andrew Booth, not being able to work out from Clemson sauce Gardner is going to be the first corner off the board. Agreed. How about Kyle Hamilton? You know, he's a guy that I think a lot of people might have the highest film grade on in, in yeah. this class, but he's also a bigger guy, right? You want safeties to be able to cover wide receivers. Can he cover a wide receiver? Eh, I don't know if he's quick enough to do that. How do you see teams viewing Kyle Hamilton? Is he a real potential top five pick, more of a top 10 pick, or could he even be back in Derwin James land, like around 15 ish? I think he still goes in the top 10. Uh, if he falls out of the top five, I, I wouldn't be stunned because like you mentioned, I, I think some teams are a little leery about, Hey, can you match up even with a, a quicker tight end or a running back out of the backfield at six, four and two twenty? There's one thing to say, Hey, he's really fluid for his size. He's athletic for his size. But when you're on the field, if there's a quicker 5'10", 210 pound running back running at you, and he's just flat out quicker than you, it, it doesn't matter how quick you are relative <laughs> to your size. Right. What I do think is helps him a little that there were initially those comparisons to Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons was 6'4", 238 at the combine. Kyle Hamilton, 6'4", 220. I think yeah, that's that a little is. bit more manageable, but in Indianapolis, Kyle Hamilton runs 4'5", And I, I think a lot of people were like, oh, he's going to test run in the high four threes, jump 42 inches, have a crazy broad jump. He didn't really do that. So I think before the combine, it was hard to find anyone that thought he would go outside the top five. Now there could be some reservations of, even though I think the safety positions growing in importance and value that teams might say, I don't know if I can really pick a 6'4", 220 pound safety. That's not an elite athlete testing wise inside the top five. But like you mentioned, Almost everyone I've talked to and how I view him, his film is the best of any prospect in this class. I think he, what he did, even being injured, not being able to play the full season at Notre Dame, the range, the blitzing ability, uh, covering underneath the run support. I, I think he really checks a lot of the boxes on film. There's just some reservations about his speed. And like you mentioned, being able to man up at such a big size. Yeah, no question about it. I'm with you. Who are some of the guys that you think deserve to be more in this top 10 conversation that you don't think enough people are talking about inside the top 10? Uh, I, I'm a big fan. I mean, not that he's going to go here, but just to kind of dive into my scouting grade. Yeah, book. please. Um, Arnold Ebicady from Penn state. I don't know if you've watched him, John. I have. Yeah, he's good. Uh, he's really good player. I mean, in terms of being able to win in a variety of ways, I think the burst is good. Bend around the corner knows how to use his hands. He tested well, had a 38-inch vertical jump. Uh, I like that his frame is actually a little bit smaller and more compact. I think that helps him get up and underneath bigger offensive linemen and play with a little bit more power. I have close to a top 10 grade on him. Um, we'll see what Drake London, the wide receiver from USC, does um, at his pro day. I think that will ultimately determine where he goes. 
But in terms of contested catchability and yards after the catch skill being as big and powerful as he is, he's a really, really fun prospect for me. Um, I'm trying to think anyone else that I really like probably won't go. I mean, I guess my, in general, my top 10 looks like a lot of people's top tens. Um, and I guess I have Malik Willis as my number eight overall player. I, I think Ooh, the rawness okay. is definitely there. I think it will take time for him to read coverages and react quickly after playing at uh, Liberty. But if you're looking for a quarterback to jump into that stratosphere with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, all the talent, at least in the AFC, but certainly just at this young wave of these improvisational strong arm quarterbacks, that's Malik Willis. And we've seen with Josh Allen, Justin Herbert was kind of viewed as, Hey, he's, he's pretty risky. He's too tentative. And he's really taken off early in his career. Patrick Mahomes sat for an entire season, but then has become this elite superstar quarterback. So I think Malik Willis should and will be the first quarterback off the board, even if he's not ready to start in week one. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Willis, some of his high-end throws, Chris, on the move deep down the field, he is one of the best deep balls yes. I've seen coming out of college. Now, sure, the intermediate stuff is rough. I, I, yeah. I, I sorted, I watched all those throws between 10 and 19 yards. There's some rough stuff in there, and that's sure. the stuff to me he has to work on, you know, where you have to fit the ball into small windows against coverages in the NFL. That's going to be a problem, mm-hmm. but boy, that by in time, his thick lower body can break tackles and his deep ball is just on the money. Yeah. And I think that's one area that with Kenny Pickett, with Matt Corral, uh, that, that their deep ball accuracy is not nearly as good as Malik Willis. And I think Malik Willis likes to take those shots and I rather have my quarterback be aggressive. And then you have to scale him back a little bit, then come in conservative and check it down all the time. And then, like you mentioned, the designed run game ability that I don't think any other quarterback has maybe Matt Corral a little bit. Um, but I think with Willis, you get someone that can be that power run game with your quarterback that adds another element to your offense. All right. You have six wide receivers in your mock that you came yep. out with this week. Do you think we're going to have that many go in the first round? You know, we have a lot of needs now. That's the thing, right? And that's, by the way, without the Eagles taking one. You don't even have the Eagles taking one. You still have six going. You don't have the Chiefs taking one. You still have six going. So is this going to be a deal where, because of a lot of the moves we've seen, that wide receiver is going to become a target for a lot of these teams in the back half of this first round? Yeah, I think so. I I think teams understand the value of wide receiver. Like, it's an interesting position to look at from a draft perspective. Because there's a surplus. It seems like the last five draft classes, we've said, oh, this is the best draft class at wide receiver (laughs) we've had. It's just there's so many good ones, but teams are now loading up at wide receiver. And we've seen all of these really, you know, Cooper Cup have a gigantic season. Stephon Diggs not only take off himself, but help to elevate Josh Allen. Um, All around the league, there's teams not just saying, hey, let's get a number one and then a decent number two. Let's get a really good number three wide yeah, receiver three as well. Now it's crazy. Three big time wide receivers. I think watching what happened to the Arizona Cardinals offense after DeAndre Hopkins got hurt, I think that was super telling and, and it kind of alerted teams around the league. Like, Hey, even if you have a, a talented quarterback like Kyler Murray, if you lose that number one, your offense is going to be, uh, you know, in a lot of trouble. So I think the two Ohio state wide receivers are going to be the first two off the board. Drake London, unless he runs like four, seven at the USC pro day, his film is good enough to go in the first round. Even with the torn ACL, I think Jamison Williams will go in round one. Um, Jahan Dotson too would be the other that at Penn state, maybe not as quick as you would like underneath, but the route running skill is good and made a lot of big time catches down the football field. And then you have Traylon Burks who, Maybe didn't run as fast as people wanted, but at 225 pounds, six foot two, kind of has that AJ Brown type body where he's so hard to bring to the turf because of his thick lower half. So I could see all six of those wide receivers going in the first round. There's just even teams that have good receivers like the Bills, like the Packers. Um, well, I guess the Packers need some receivers now. I could see them just loading up because it, this offseason, that's been the theme of go all in, load up, add as many weapons as you can um, just for injury injury insurance. And just it's a passing renaissance in today's NFL. You need quality wide receivers for whatever type of quarterback you have. All right, so let's talk about the Giants then in round two. They're picking at 36, I believe, off the top of my head. Okay. This is a pretty deep draft. 
Um, you talk about the wide receivers. You mentioned Arnold, Arnold uh, Ebiketti already from Penn State. What are some of the positions uh, that would provide the most value for the Giants in that 35 range? Yeah, edge rusher, I think, is with Arnold Ebiketti that we mentioned, Boye Mafe from Minnesota, if he's available. I actually pegged the Giants as a team that at the outset of a new regime with Joe Shane and Brian Dable, they could be a team that could pick David Ajabo from Michigan and say, hey, look, you have your torn Achilles. We're not really expecting much from you as a rookie, but we're almost feeling like next year we'd be getting an extra first round pick because had David Ajabo not torn his AC or his Achilles at his pro day at Michigan, he would have been a first round pick. So that could be something that a lot of other teams might say, hey, we need an edge rusher that's going to play right now in September. The Giants could say, hey, we're fine with you not being able to play maybe until December or not until year two. Um, edge rusher is very good. Corner, I think we're going to see a ton go off the board um, in that you know 33 to 45 range somewhere in the first half of the second round. Andrew Booth from Clemson, like I mentioned, the two Washington cornerbacks. Uh, Roger McCreary from Auburn has shorter arms, but his he can cover though, man. Yeah, his coverage ability. Go back to that 2019 film against Jamar Chase when Roger McCreary was a sophomore. He gave Jamar Chase probably the toughest assignment that he had in that record-breaking season with Joe Burrow at LSU. And then, like you mentioned, you know, just covering the Alabama receivers last year, Jamison Williams, the guys last year, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. Roger McCreary is a really good coverage cornerback, made a lot of plays on the football. Uh, Edge rusher and corner would probably be the two positions that I feel like there will be high caliber prospects available when the Giants go on the clock in round two. The Giants want a wide receiver to, you know, uh, supplement Kadarius Toney, supplement Kenny Galladay, Storm Shepard whenever he gets back from his injury. Do you think they got him pull that trigger with that second round pick or can they wait to the top of the third round? And if so, who are some of the guys that you might be able to consider at wide out in that third round area? Um, if there are six receivers that go in the first round, I think there'll be a little bit more uh, like feeling like they need to pick a wide receiver in round two. But in the third round, I mean, there's there's going to be good players picked. Like I mentioned, there's a surplus uh, of talented wide receivers in seemingly every draft class. Khalil Shakir from Boise State is a name that I think um, the Giants will like a lot. Very good after the catch. Played in the slot, but I think you can move him around. Made a lot of tough catches. Uh, the body control down the football field is really, really good for him. Uh, and like you mentioned, to have Sterling Shepard, to have Kadarius Tony, you have the yards after the catch ability. Could that be something that the that the Giants ultimately want to have as a staple in their offense? I think that would make a lot of sense for Daniel Jones. Um, and certainly what the Bills had with Cole Beasley, especially in 2020. Stephon Diggs, very good. Uh, creating after the catch, making defenders miss. Um, Kelvin Austin from Memphis is another one. Smaller, but man, he's got a lot of speed. It's not easy to cover him one-on-one. Daniel Jones has had a nice connection with Darius Slayton. And when healthy, when he's had his entire group, which has been barely any games, Daniel Jones has been willing to throw the football down the field and has been a good downfield thrower. So Kelvin Austin, someone maybe more of a gadget type, but that's really okay to pick that type of player in round three. Wendell Robinson, Kentucky is another player like that. Uh, yes, there will certainly be, even if we see six or seven wide receivers go in the top 40 in round three, the Giants can still get a quality player that can come in and contribute as a rookie and early on that rookie contract. Speaking of bringing in a guy to position they need to contribute, tight end. Uh, the Giants basically have Ricky Seals Jones and Ricky Seals Jones. <laughs> That's kind of where they are right now. Where's the sweet spot for tight ends in this draft where you can, you know, get the most bang for your buck? I think it's right in that same area, like late day two, early day three. Uh, There's not obviously a Kyle Pitts in this class. And I think Trey McBride from Colorado state from who I've talked to, he seems to be the consensus number one in that he was super productive. He won the John Mackey award as the best tight end in college football last year. I think he had over like 80 catches not crazy explosive, but he gets open. His separation skill, the nuance route running is certainly there. He catches everything. He was really the focal point of that Colorado State offense. But he feels more like a second or a third rounder. I really like Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio yeah, State. Un- unfortunate that that he couldn't work out at the Ohio State Pro Day. With him having a lower body injury, that could push him down the board. Great blocker. I think uh, Brian Dable certainly 
factors that in that, that you can be on the field in that inline position. You don't really give a tell to the defense that you're going to throw it. Um, I think Jeremy Ruckert will be a better pro than he was at Ohio state being on that offense with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, uh, Jackson Smith, and the Jigba, who's probably going to be a first round pick next year. Didn't see a lot of footballs. And that's similar to what happened with Dawson Knox at Ole Miss playing with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and the bills traded up to get him in the third round. And, and he's become a quality player. Jeremy Ruckert kind of feels like that type. Um, and then you have Isaiah likely and Greg Dolchich from coastal Carolina and UCLA respectively, two really good receivers that are different. Isaiah likely underneath yards after the catch, uh, kind of like a big running back and H back type. If that's the, the, the direction that the Giants want to go. And then Greg Dolchich is just down the seam, linear speed. I think he's a little stiff changing directions, but he's someone that can really hit you like a 50 yard touchdown running right down the middle of the field. So it, there's kind of different flavors in this class, not an amazing tight end group, but don't be surprised if you're saying John, that the giants, you know, don't have a lot at that position and they're going to target that if they pick one in the third to fifth round range and he comes in and, and he's catching footballs as a rookie. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a pretty deep group. How about uh, linebacker? We've been talking about the linebackers in this class. Yeah, give me the overview. You know, who are the guys at the top you like and and, and kind of how deep does that group go? Uh, my top would be similar to pretty much everyone. Nicobe Dean, uh, to me, is the best linebacker in terms of his three down ability. I think his coverage is great. I'm actually a little bit lower on Devin Lloyd. I think he reminds me a lot of Kenneth Murray and Jordan Brooks, two linebackers that went in the first round in 2020, and there was so much hype about them because of their size, their athleticism, their range as run defenders, but as has kind of been a, a central theme of this podcast, you got to be a good pass protector if you're an offensive lineman. You have to be good in coverage if you're a corner, if you're a safety, and if you're a linebacker. I don't really see the coverage ability with Devin Lloyd. Um, Chad Muma from Wyoming I think is another really good three down player that if the giants wanted to address that he would make sense second or third round. And a lot of times, you know, we always want to think that teams are going to go biggest need in round one, second biggest need in round two, third biggest need in round three. A lot of times they truly stack their board and they pick the best available player um, just relative to who's available for them. So I think Chad Muma certainly should be someone that should uh, be on the giants fans radar and Troy Anderson from Montana State. This oh, I love form, him. Yeah, Ooh. there's a former scrambling quarterback who won Offensive Player of the Year at the FCS level. And then the next season, he's playing linebacker, and he flies all over the football field. Had a really good combine. He's a bigger player. And, yes, he was playing at the FCS level at Montana State. So it, it will take him time to acclimate to the difference in speed at the NFL level. But if we're talking about someone that – put on the film that he did in one season as a linebacker. I think the future is very, very bright for Troy Anderson could be a third round pick. A few other names, Channing Tindall from Georgia, a little smaller, but super duper fast. Brian Asamoa, another one that I think the giants could like um, given what Joe Shane had in Buffalo with Matt Milano, that he's a smaller um, speedy player, Brian Asamoa all around the football field little bit smaller size, but I think you want your linebackers to be in the 220, maybe 230 range at this point. They're getting smaller and smaller seemingly every year. All right, let's say the Giants get wiped out at offensive tackle in the first round, right? They can't get Neil or Quanu. Charles Cross isn't there. They have to have Sauce Gardner or something like that. Then okay. they get to the second round, like, boy, we need an offensive tackle here. Where could they go? Is that really the worst-case scenario, or is there depth at that position? If you, they get wiped out at OT in round one, what are their options? I think they have a fair amount of them. This is a, a really good offensive tackle class, not just because of those top three uh, top tier um, offensive tackles that we talked about that everyone's really understanding are probably going to go inside the top 10. Daniel Falele from Minnesota. His film's a little weird because he's 6'8", almost 400 pounds, like 380, 390. Uh, but he's kind of reminds me of Orlando Brown when he came out of Oklahoma. So third round pick by the Ravens. And no, he's not the twitchiest. He's a little heavy footed because he's so big, but he's just so gigantic that it takes so long for edge rushers to get around him. I think his movement skills for as big as he is are pretty impressive. Um, Tyler Smith is another name from Tulsa. 
actually getting some first round buzz, late first round buzz at this point. If you've watched him, John, his hands are all over the place. Got Dude, his, it's almost like no one's coached him how to pass. No one has before. coached him. It's yeah, crazy. it's like he he like <laughs> hugs the edge rushers. I don't understand what was going on there, but at like 6'5", 330 with long arms, he's a dancing bear. Like he's all over the football field, getting to the second level, his pass protection um, in terms of just his traits really pop on film. That would be a really good selection, maybe a little bit more of a developmental type, but I think you could plug him in and, and he's going to get after it in the run game. It'll just take him some time, maybe like similar to Andrew Thomas, where Andrew Thomas looked pretty bad in his rookie season. And then that last month or so really came into his own. Certainly Tyler Smith is not as technically sound as Andrew Thomas was, but a similar type player that big, really physical, the athleticism pops. Um, trying to think of any other offensive tackles um, that, that will likely go in that range round two. Um, Kellen Dyche from Arizona state. He's more of a, a smaller athletic type um, needs to get a lot stronger, but in terms of movement skills and fundamentals, he's like the opposite of Tyler Smith that, that he needs to get stronger, but his handwork uh, very good inside the shoulder pads frequently uh, can get lateral on those stretch runs. We're, we're, we don't really know what the Giants' offensive philosophy is going to look like, but if they do want to use more zone blocking, Kellen Deutsch would make a lot of sense. Max Mitchell is the last one that I'll mention um, from Louisiana Lafayette. Career right tackle, so there would not be any positional movement for him. And he's another one that just has really good film. He's a complete player. He certainly needs to add more weight like most uh, college offensive tackles do once they get to the next level. But the handwork is good. I think he can recover well when he's beaten because he's a good athlete uh, and can definitely get across the line and get out in front of some of those zone blocking plays. Giants can use a guard and or a center as well here, Chris. Day two, early day three, maybe even top of the fourth round. I, I, it's just a really deep uh, draft class generally. Who are some of the interior guys, center guards that Giant fans should be keeping an eye on? All right. Dylan Parham from Memphis is the first name that I'll mention that he's shorter, but he's really compact. And, and for a lot of the same reasons that I actually like when edge rushers are a little bit shorter because it gives you that low center of gravity. That's Dylan Parham. It's almost impossible to push him back into the quarterback. I don't necessarily think he's the strongest blocker in this class, but you just cannot get out or you just cannot out leverage Dylan Parham. So Memphis, Dylan Parham, keep a name or keep an eye on that name. And Lekitis Smith from Virginia Tech is another one. Very fundamentally sound, never lunging, getting out over his feet, uh, losing his balance. He was really on the draft radar last year, decided to come back for that final season after everything with the pandemic. And he put really good film out there at Virginia Tech. Another one built low to the ground, very powerful. I think he's equally as good in the run game as he is in pass protection. He's not fantastic in either area, but someone that I think has a pretty high floor. Um, and then if they want center guard flexibility, Cole Strange from Chattanooga is a really fun watch on film. Check out the Kentucky game where he's okay. facing SEC defensive linemen and Cole Strange playing left guard uh, at this tiny school is really holding his own and moving these bigger, wider, stronger Kentucky defensive lineman. He tested really well at the combine too. And a lot of people that I've talked to said, Hey, this guy can be a starting center in year one. And maybe by halfway through his rookie season or year two, if he adds more weight can be a better, you know, younger athletic guard at the next level. Interesting. What do you think of Jamari Salyer? He's a guy that is kind of sloppy. Like he doesn't like yeah. his body is kind of all over the place but he never seems to get beat. <laughs> and I wonder once you get him into guard and he's not in space at tackle, I think that's a guy that you could find, you know, late day two, early day three, where at guard, I think his physical skill set would allow him to be an even better player inside. Yeah. Salyer is really interesting because like you mentioned, and I think what you're probably alluding to that college football playoff game against Aiden Hutchinson, where, Salyer really did a great job against him. Everyone kind of thought that that was going to be a game that was really going to catapult Aiden Hutchinson after the great season that he had. And he was shut down in that game by someone in Salyer that's pretty stiff. He's heavy footed. He, he looks like a guard who was playing almost out of position. It looked like at Georgia, most people that I've talked to and kind of how I view him is in at the guard position. 
But yes, he definitely has that kind of Kalecio Semele mold where he was a college right tackle or college left tackle in this case. Um, will be better at guard. He has a guard's body um, and will be a little bit better protected in a more confined space. But the power is there. The fundamentals are there. He's not off balance uh, very frequently. And to me, the times when Salyer was off balance, it was when he was on an island at tackle. That's not where he belongs. And that's not likely where he's going to play in the NFL. All right, Chris, I got two more for you. You've been referencing it throughout the show, but you're up in the Buffalo area. You grew up a Bills fan. Give me a feel here for what Giant fans should be expecting in terms of process, players, type of players that they'll like from Joe Shane and Brian Dable as they start to figure out here what direction they're going to try to take this Giants franchise. Yeah, there is a distinct philosophy that the Bills have had uh, or that they had during the era of Joe Shane being there is that not being afraid to roll the dice on a raw but high upside player. And that goes for Josh Allen trading up for him in the 2018 draft. Nine picks later, trading up for Tremaine Edmonds, who was this tall, long, 19-year-old linebacker, picking Gregory Rousseau in the back end of the first round last year, and then picking Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, who had a crazy pro day workout Northern Iowa didn't even play football in 2020, six, nine, 300 pounds, like looks like a a tall tight end out there. Certainly was raw coming from a smaller school level. They really are not afraid to do that. They trust the coaching staff. They trust the scheme. They, they trust those type of players. So if there's one thing that, that maybe not even just at five and seven, but in the second, third and fourth round, don't be surprised if the giants are picking uh, Tariq Woolen the UTSA cornerback that's 6'3", 200 pounds, ran 4-2-6 at the combine, maybe not the best coverage player at this point, but if you coach him up, you put him in the right scheme, he can be a serious playmaker. That was really the biggest philosophy. And one other um, that I don't know if this will translate, the Bills were always okay picking cornerbacks later. They The fourth round, Taron Johnson, their starting nickel corner, was the earliest that in the Joe Shane Brandon Bean era that the Bills picked a cornerback. I don't know if, if that was maybe the Bills scheme, Sean McDermott schemes, not the same really at all as Wink Martindale's, um, but they were always okay with be good in the pass rush and then have your corners be able to kind of feast off the, the quarterbacks being a lot more hurried more frequently. They had Tredavious White that, yes, was a first-round pick, but from 2018 to 2021, they were, you know, Levi Wallace was an undrafted free agent. Uh, Dane Jackson, who they kind of put in there um, last season when Tredavious White got injured, seventh round selection. They picked some safeties on day three. They were very much about shoring up the defensive front seven before going into the secondary. Yeah, they did spend money on the two safeties, though, right? Which is interesting. It's almost like they valued that spot, you know, a little bit more than the corner. Now, you mentioned White was there, so that's obviously a, a, a big part of the conversation. But they clearly valued having those safeties back there to kind of, you know, yeah. be that backstop. Yeah. The one thing I'll say about that, which it's it's kind of fascinating and I'm not sure the right answer, but it'll be fun to monitor. They definitely do value the safety position. Uh, and I think Joe Shane, having watched the tandem of Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, he understands how valuable having two versatile safeties that can play strong safety, free safety, rotate in and out, um, do a lot of different things. Does that mean, though, because Micah Hyde was a free agent signing and Jordan Poyer was a low-level free agent signing, a fifth-round pick and a seventh-round pick, if Joe Shade looks at it as, hey, we can get the exact type that we want later in the draft, let's pinpoint a specific versatile player, or is he like, hey, safety is really valuable, we need to pick Kyle Hamilton, who can do a lot of different things. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds, and I think we'll get you know, a a clear story of how Joe Shane views building that position out. Is it on the free agent market eventually, maybe next off season, or is he saying, Hey, safety, if you have that position down, your secondary has two quarterbacks back there and they go Kyle Hamilton in round one and then pick another one in round three or round four. Be interesting to see how that ultimately unfolds at the safety spot. Yeah. And does building for Wink Martindale mean a different strategy than building for Sean McDermott too? Like, right. It's just stuff that we don't know yet. hundred percent. All right, final question. I think we'll probably use this for our promo too. You don't have to go with your mock draft. You can do whatever you want. Give me the Giants' ideal scenario with their first three picks in this draft. Who do they walk away with? What do they do? 
Okay, first three selections, I think most ideal for the Giants would be Kayvon Thibodeau at number five overall because of the upside, because they need an edge rusher. He fits the profile of what I think Joe Shane will like, what Wink Martindale will like to have an elite pass rusher on the outside. A little bit raw, but the the upside is Miles Garrett-esque. Then at number seven, I think Iki Aquanu from NC State, if he's there, uh, plug him in at right tackle um, on those strong side runs. He can really be that road grader in the run game for Saquon Barkley, uh, will help the play action game. And I think eventually he can be a quality player as a pass protector. Um, there's upside there because even though he's not crazy big, the athleticism certainly pops on film. And then how about in the second round? Actually, a name that I didn't mention. Sky Moore, the wide receiver from Love Sky. I love this guy's film. Yards after the catch, he gets off press coverage very efficiently with his feet, with his hands, makes a lot of contested catches, diving grabs down the football field. Whether it's Daniel Jones for the next 10 years or another quarterback that the Giants pick later on, I think Sky Moore would really complement Kadarius Toney. Uh, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard. You can play him in the slot. You can play him on the perimeter. And at like 5'9 and almost 200 pounds, he kind of has a running back's body. Very good after the catch, too. So Kayvon Thibodeau at five, Iki Aquanu at seven, and then Sky Moore uh, inside the top 40 in the second round. Chris, great stuff, man. Really appreciate the time. Always fun catching up with you. Stay yeah. safe up there. And anything you want to promote, anything you have going on that you want to make sure that people know about? Um, not really. I mean, you bought one of my scouting grade books. That's my grading system. I really appreciate that. That's kind of what I'm just selling on the side. It's not anything, uh, tied to CBS sports, but it's just my grading system that I use. You can tell buy people it. about it. Yeah. Just, just click the link in my bio, uh, on TikTok or on Twitter. It's really just a comprehensive way for me to build out my big board. If you're not watching 300 prospects, which you're most likely not, that's totally fine. <laughs> if you want to just watch the top five quarterbacks, top five receivers. There are skill and talent categories that are weighted. You can change the labels on those. They're fully customizable. Um, and then what's nice is, and what I needed, as you're filling out these grades, you can use any grading scale you want, one to 10, three to seven, one to 100. The big board builds itself. So you can just watch five quarterbacks, watch five offensive linemen, fill in those categories with your own numbers. And then you click on the big board tab and they'll all be sorted for you. So you're not trying to move up an offensive tackle ahead of a wide receiver. And you're not really sure where the corner fits in. All the numbers are, are built out for you in the scouting grade book. Yeah, guys, it's, it, it's a real fun tool. Make sure you go check it out. Chris, awesome time, man. Let's talk soon. Enjoy the rest of the draft process, my friend. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports. Make sure you check him out on Twitter as well. All his great stuff on cbssports.com. I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle.